Welcome to another episode of the Reboot Chronicles, a no-holds-barred forum with global leaders, authors, entrepreneurs, and CEOs about how organizations stay focused on growth and innovation in unprecedented times. I'm your host, Dean DeBias, coming to you live from Revive's North American headquarters in Chicago, and we would like to thank you for joining us from around the globe today. I'd like to welcome Chase Poland, who's the founder of Kipris, a luxury organic skincare indie brand here in the U.S., as many of you know, skincare is one of the fastest growing segments in, in beauty now, supported by greater demand for formulations and growing interest in self-care and other things. Um, according to the Revive Health, Beauty, and Wellness Index, skincare issues have been reignited in 2020 with specific searches and shopping behaviors uh, going way up. So some of the categories that are monitored there have gone up anywhere from 200 to 400% on skincare, not so much on cosmetics as, as, as we've reported so with demand growing so fast, indie brands, you know, with their ability to be very nimble and react swiftly to current customer demands, are doing real well. We've had some of them on the program, and we'd like to welcome you, Chase. And wonder if you could just start out, maybe tell us a little bit of the story behind Kippers. Um, specifically, would love to know, you know, how it went, what types of things you struggled with and overcame, because you're pretty far along in your journey now. Dean, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'll tell you, it doesn't feel like we're pretty far along in our journey now. Maybe, maybe time. That was a compliment. When it, did you start? No, though? thank you, thank you. It, it just, I feel like there's so much to do. You know, there's so much I want to do. There's so much I want to create. So, um, yeah, and I definitely feel like we do have a foothold. Thank God. Um, but we're still, you know, as you said, relatively small. I mean, compared to an Estee Lauder, my goodness. Um, well, they've had a lot, many decades. Ahead of years, <laughs> yes, they definitely have time. You'll on catch up. Um, so I would say that one of the biggest leaps I had to take early on was, you know, I, I don't really love the idea of making product in a kitchen and then selling it. That's not kind of how I think of skincare. Um, the specific sort of challenge that I, or opportunity, I should say, that I saw in the market was that, you know, natural skincare was very craft and very almost kitchen cosmetic-y. And then on the other side, there was, you know, all these great pharma pharmaceutical, skinceutical type brands, um, cosmeceutical type brands that maybe right. didn't have an ingredient profile or list that I was comfortable with. And so I really wanted to make something that was going to be really elegant, but also really efficacious. And so you need a lab for that. You need, it's not even just, you know, manufacturing, uh, at scale that you need a lab for, like they have equipment and machines, like there's a physical chemistry element to creating those types of products that you need technology for. And so Figuring out how to go from, you know, working with a contract lab to actually scaling was um, that was that was definitely interesting because you have to, you know, you have to get all the ingredients and you have to code the all the ingredients. And then hopefully somebody there is smart and says, well, what if they don't have what you need? Are you just not going to make the product? And then you have to find secondary and tertiary um, sources that you're comfortable with or you just don't make the product if you, they're short. So 
Oh my goodness. We've run into all kinds of fun hiccups. I would say the biggest one that I would love to draw attention to is the impacts of climate change and how that affects a supply chain that is largely, you know, farmed or wild harvested. So we went through something just a few years ago where, um, we spent a lot of time betting um, a neroli operation. It's an organic neroli farm in Morocco. And it's one of those ingredients that we don't have a secondary source for because what they do is so special. They have really great land stewardship. They have really great labor management standards. Um, sure. And that's really important. You know, so sustainability needs to be both ecological and social. So, um, man, they had two years of bad crops. I mean, just really bad harvest. And so the price of it doubled, but we were also really committed to them. So what I'm grateful for is, you know, we have a brand that our patrons are like, yes, buy the right ingredient. If you have to raise the price, raise the price, but do the right thing and really stand by the suppliers. So that's what we were able to do. But it really changed how we looked at pricing our products. So, you know, some companies might, you know, factor in shrinkage or damage or losses, but now we factor also, we factor in climate events. Yep. And you're a luxury brand. So you've got, uh, probably got some little extra room in the margin there to, to play with, whereas others, it might be razor, razor thin. Well, maybe not in this market, but like in the food sector, <laughs> they're, they're running into the same problems with, uh, with sourcing. Um, let's yeah. jump into that. You know, there's just, dozens of brands that have jumped on the bandwagon, quite frankly, and they're claiming that, you know, their products are non-toxic or they're chemical free or they're all different types of positioning. The stuff that's on the packaging sometimes surprises me really. But, um, but also it's like the market, um, it seems like it's been challenged by, there's just a lack of clarity. It's just one of the noisiest markets out there. I've, I've found both in the store, on the packaging, advertising, uh, way too many, uh, you know, way too many people kind of constituents claiming the the clean beauty brand, if you will, or, or space. And um, if you look at a couple of companies like, uh, you know, um, like uh, Credo, they're, um, Credo's got, uh, I think they, we just had them on the program. I can't remember how many thousands of, of chemicals that they actually, it was at least a thousand um, that they had on their dirty list that uh, they just said, you know, these, these are like, should be banned. We're not using them. And I know a lot of the mass markets use them. Uh, Biosense, I think has 2000 ingredients uh, and they call it their no comp, you know, compromise list. So, um, how do you, uh, how do you kind of bust through the noise really was the questions. Um, then we can kind of get into, you know, what's actually in it because, um, it's overwhelming. It's just, I don't, I don't know how people actually have time to even read these packaging. Uh, yeah. So for me, you know, as a, as, a, as a brand, I approach this as a matter of trust. So I see this as an opportunity for education and I see this as an opportunity to create trust with our clientele because we actually have really high standards when it comes to what we will and will not put in our products. There's, there are ingredients that are EcoCert and Cosmos approved that we won't touch. <laughs> So we really go beyond a lot of what's considered, you know, an organic or natural standard. Um, I think it's really an opportunity for brand. I think that there's a tendency to say, well, shouldn't there then be more regulation? And, you know, it's, it's almost like, you know, in, at least in the United States relative to like Europe, Europe has a very, a very robust regulatory body that manages all of this. Like you have to register product before you put right. it on the market. 
South Korea, same deal. Australia, very similar. Um, you know, the United States is very different in its approach. And so it's almost like going to culinary school, trying to regulate all this and, you know, immediately trying to like bake a souffle, but you haven't learned how to make cookies yet. You know, there's, there is a lot of sort of unintended consequences to trying to create rules around it. So as a, but I'm really for anything that creates clarity and greater transparency for the consumer. I think it's so important. And you're distributing through Credo, so that's one of your many channels, right? They, so you're you're obviously not on their dirty list. That's that's good news. Yeah. So <laughs> they probably probably wouldn't have chosen you. I uh, know the founder and CEO there. They're pretty tough on their selection process. And he's amazing. What, you mentioned um, what was that term you said? The um, wild sustainable or um, uh, wild your, Yes, tell us about that. I know you uh, talked about the sourcing issues, but what? Yeah, so is it like um, free, is it like free range chickens? Is that like the same category? <laughs> of, um, um, I think actually that might be a regulated term, and I think it actually might be a little different. Um, so wild crafting is the practice of going into the wild and collecting strategically collecting a particular ingredient. So. For us, that can be Centella Asiatica from Madagascar. That can be prickly pear from our backyard in Arizona. Um, and yeah. in the case of the prickly pear, it's we get this from an actual like organic certified swath of land. So it's actually bizarrely both organic certified and wild crafted. It comes from a comes from a ranch technically. Um, what, but the the Centella Asiatica, for example, in Madagascar is more wild. It is coming from a forest. And that specific ingredient is so interesting to me because they have tried, you know, organically growing it, growing it even like even like cultivating it in the wild. And it doesn't develop this uh, group of constituents at a concentration that are cosmetically beneficial. So you have to only wildcraft it if you want the cosmetic benefit. So wildcrafting, you know, there's a and there's an art to it. You have to leave a certain amount of plant in order for it to be uh, a viable practice, so that you know the plants continue to be healthy, the population continues to be healthy and regenerate. Um, and sometimes it's actually done improperly. You see this with some of the frankincense populations in some places. Um, you see this with sandalwood as well. So wild crafting can be a really beautiful practice, but it also comes with some risk because it's it's harder to manage. Right. So it's kind of, you can go into the forest type of thing with a, like a guide or you can, I mean, I want to go to the prickly pear ranch. That sounds like a fun uh, afternoon. That could be something. Oh my God. So that's like farm-raised salmon, really. That's that's what they're actually mass-producing. It's just organic and uh, pure. No, actually, I called the Farm Bureau in Arizona when I was looking for prickly pear. <laughs> I had an, <laughs> I had an incident actually when I was going to meet my mother-in-law right after I'd gotten married, and I pulled into a parking lot, and at the time, I was buying prickly pear from Morocco, I think, and a cactus just fell on my car, which was. I was so new to Arizona. I was like, well, maybe this is just a thing, but is that prickly pear? Um, <laughs> and so I called the farm bureau um, and I said, do you know anyone growing prickly pear? And the person who answered kind of laughed at me. And 
they're like, no, but I think I know someone you can talk to. And so, um, I got a couple of names and numbers to call and I ended up, and then from that, I ended up connecting with this one, um, group that was paying people to remove the seed of the prickly pear because they were collecting the pears for juice and dye and cattle fodder. But the seed, it, it's so prolific that like they have to actually pay to remove it. So they had been stashing it in like a storehouse somewhere and then like paying people to come remove it. And when I said to them, like, can I buy it? They're like, why? <laughs> and I explained myself and, um, <laughs> And it, and it became this many year uh, project to figure out how to crush prickly pear, but and and make that oil. But I I have to disabuse you of this like fun time because you know it's harvested in the middle of summer. It's a hundred and ten degrees. The folks who go out, it's like three generations of the same groups of families that go out and harvest. They're wearing steel-toed boots, soccer shin guards, butcher aprons, and they're literally massive hats and they're collecting it with salad tongs and putting into the sack. So if a pear falls on the desert floor, it's no good because E. coli proliferates on the floor. And not to mention it's rainy season. So all the critters are seeking higher ground. So it, it's a, it's a precarious practice that I feel actually a lot of conflict around because like physically I don't have the constitution to do that kind of work. Well, but I'm yeah, grateful to do it. Occasionally, you have to go out and visit your suppliers. Well, that is the uh, most bizarre distribution uh, chain story I've ever heard. Um, but the part, the part about your, um, you know, having a cactus fall in your car, I think that's a good part of your startup story. Uh, maybe, maybe work that into your logo or something. Let's talk about distribution. You know, the whole struggle of this is just a tough, noisy market to get into. Whatever it is in retail, you know, it doesn't really matter about the category, but yours is really crowded. So, what? How was that? Uh, that fight and where are you now distribution wise? Um, so as far as the noise goes, I think we're very fortunate because the magazine editors, the influencers, the buyers at the stores, like they know quality. I think they know quality from not quality. So I'm grateful for that because that definitely helps. Um, I definitely think that we can be, quote, louder. We can definitely be clear about um, telling our stories, plural, and, you know, sharing about the brand. It's, you know, admittedly, it's not our strong suit yet. It's a, it's a place that we're growing. It's an opportunity for us. Um, and as far as distribution goes, um, forgive me, I don't have the exact count, but, you know, we are in the United States. We're also in Canada um, but we're also distributed in about 15 other markets globally and counting. So, you know, there's definitely a desire for quality products and quality, quality, you know, and, you know, I, I wonder with some of these companies that are popping up out of nowhere, like maybe some of them are buying bulk product and tweaking it a little and then filling it. I, I have no idea. I kind of have to keep my eyes on my own paper and like run through the wall in front of me. Sorry to yeah. mix metaphors there, but not sorry. I mean, beauty is a jungle. Um, so, so where have you ended up? Uh, so, so you're in Credo you're in some of their stores, uh, Nordstrom's who else? 
Where else can we get Chicago this stuff? Market, Net-a-Porte, Canyon Ranch, some Four Seasons properties. Um, I'm so embarrassed. I'm blinking right now. We have a, a lot of small, a lot of small spas, estheticians. That's a normal channel for the high end, uh, high end products. That's good. Yeah. And uh, what are your what are your thoughts uh, in terms of international and China? Massive market there. We will not be entering China until they change their animal testing laws. Ah, we sell to Hong Kong, but that is just a no-go. I mean, customers in China know how to get our products if they want our products, but we will never be animal testing. Yeah, many uh, many brands have their, uh, on their, even on their website, they list, uh, you know, where you should not buy their products because they're, uh, you know, they kind of hijack them through other channels and things like that. Well, that's good. You're being true to your uh, true to your uh, brand promise, which uh, also can be rare in this uh, beauty jungle. What? Um, let's talk about trends and what's going on. Obviously, you know, with Revive, it's all about personalizing the journey for health and wellness products, everything from cosmetics to supplements to whatever. Only kind of getting what you know your body should really kind of consider. What are you seeing trend wise? Um, so we've touched obviously on clean sustainable what else what else do you like out there over the next few years i feel like i i feel like i speak for a lot of us but i feel like we have shown some next level resilience this past year arguably few years um yep. i really feel like we're all ready for some next level r and r whether that's safely going to the spa or taking care of ourselves at home. I think this is, I think that we're really starting to connect to why taking care of ourselves is so important. And from a scientific perspective, this is actually very core to our company, to my company and brand. And what we do is, you know, when you take care of yourself physically, you are communicating with your subconscious. And this isn't some woo woo thing. This comes from um, a former National Institute of Health researcher, you see this in Candace Pert's work as well as Esther Sternberg's work, mm -hmm. where your body is a reflection of the subconscious mind. And when you take care of yourself, you're communicating with yourself on a different level that you matter. You know, in this whole, in the zeitgeist right now, Black Lives Matter, you know, mattering is a conversation that's very front and center. And what does it mean to matter? And, you know, whether you are a person of color or not, it really doesn't matter, pun not intended. We need to show up with a filled cup. We have a lot of challenges to greet. So that's definitely one of them. So taking, care of your, taking care of yourself is, is, is critical. But by the way, but I don't mind. I don't mind. Not, not in like a gimmicky way. I think to your yeah. point, you know. Would you call it not, not in a woo-woo way? <laughs> I, you know what? I'm okay with woo. I think some of yeah. it. Is, I'll take a little bit of that. Yeah. I do, but but I think that um, I think there's a lot of really dangerous ideas that have kind of been perverted in that space. Like whether it's like how the New Age movement has been, you know, co-opted by this nightmarish QAnon thing, or it, there there's a I don't want to say shadow is in and of itself a derogatory term because shadow can the, part of your shadow can be like a positive thing, but I would say there's a disowned aspect to self care that can be hedonistic, self involved, navel gazing rather than it really being about care and then letting that be what allows you to be more present in your life and for your family and community. So I think that there's a, an awareness that's important there. And 
kind of related to that is the relationship between what we, you know, everything we are, our whole lives are supported by the planet and what the earth has given to us. And I don't know why we haven't quite connected the dots yet that what's good for the planet is also good for us. But I think that there's an opportunity to become more aware of that. Um, I think that people want to know where ingredients come from and not just from an ecological perspective and from like a, is it organic? I think they want to know how people are treated. And it's very hard to find transparency like that within a supply chain. It's one reason I'm actually pretty quiet so far because it's something I'm really passionate about. You know, half my family's in West Virginia. My family has, most of my family is farmers. I'm technically a farmer. Um, and it is really hard work. And you want to know that the people who are part of your supply chain are paid fairly, cared for to the extent that's possible. And the heartbreak of it for me is that I don't know what's going on everywhere. I guarantee you there is something happening in my supply chain that if I knew about it would kill me and we'd immediately change. But it's important that we kind of, you know, to me that we stay awake and stay aware and open. And I think that's another trend. Especially as the management team, of course. Um, But do you think enough consumers care about that um, to to the depth and breadth that you just described? That that was pretty intense. Um, I think it's my job to care for them. And I think that's part of our leadership. Ah, That's good. Yeah, yeah, I, I get that. And then how does that... So when you look at the next generation of products or services or whatever that you might invent, how do you how do how do you approach you know growth and innovation? I mean, I know you're probably exhausted just just doing what you've done so far. No, keep, I love it. Keeping, I, keeping I, everything going, but you seem like you got about ten other projects going on. And I do, and they're all sitting right there. <laughs> um, I uh, I love product development like so yeah, much, probably shows. too much. Um, I probably need to be a little more in love with marketing <laughs> if I'm being blunt. But, I mean, those so, are the two, those are the two most important things at your stage, obviously. Yeah. Um, so we have seven core pillars that really guide the way for the brand. Um, the one that comes to mind is beauty from beauty. And so if, you know, and I, we think of beauty a little bit differently than I think that the masses do. Mm-hmm. Um, for us, beauty is an experience, and in beauty, there is no harm. So if you are, if there's harm involved, whether that's a person, a place, or a thing, um, it's not beauty. Even if it looks pretty, not beauty. So we use that as a guiding principle, and in that, have really welcomed a lot of innovation. I see our job as really wedding this, this space of raw, sustainably sourced botanicals that have an ethical supply chain and as much transparency as I can get um, with green biotechnology. We're, you know, when you talk about clean beauty to me, or when you talk about sustainable or regenerative beauty to me, what I hear is a challenge to implement um, technology that already exists and do it better. So that's what's next. Right. It will continuing. It's continuing. Um, so, so tech, tech is a part of your brand huge. promise, part of your platform. How so? Oh my gosh, um, tech 
is, well, I'm going to focus on the products and I, I, I know that you mostly, yeah, that, that, that's fine. We don't have to geek out on tech, okay. but yeah, just, okay. yeah, just an, so, an, an example me, might be helpful. Yeah. So, um, our beauty elixirs are a great example. This is one of our first products that we launched. Um, we have a product called 1000 Roses. It's the Beauty Elixir one. It's the first of nice, the three. Nice name. I like that. Thank you. Well, do you, it. Do you I, actually get rose oil? How, how does that work? Do you crush all these roses or? It seems yeah. So sad. Well, so no, don't be sad about it. Actually, I'll tell you a story about that. So our roses come from a woman owned farm in Bulgaria. Um, she, you know, you have to remember that communism fell in Bulgaria and I think yes. it was 1991 and you know now they're a capitalist society so this family held on to the rose farm that they were working through the fall of communism and I'm sure there's beautiful ancillary ways of looking at that but I'm going to call this a success for her because she's a woman she's a female farmer okay. um, those roses are grown biodynamically she has done work with the UN which I know is a complicated entity at times, but she's done work with the UN to help replant Afghani poppy fields with roses because, you know, opium is not exactly a welcome commodity on the global market, but roses right. are. Right. Um, and, you know, and even though it wasn't a successful effort, I think they planted an important seed. And I think that in and of itself is important. Someone will remember that, you know, that was an important effort. And to me, the way that these roses are harvested is it's a seasonal thing. They start harvesting in the spring. They're done before summer um, solstice typically. And roses are the largest export for Bulgaria. The second largest export is weapons. Me, I'm all on team roses. The third is textiles. I'm trying so to stay away from a guns and roses joke there, but that'd be a good. No, plan. no, I think it's very welcome. So, <laughs> so, so there's that, and I think it's hard. I think it's hard. What I've had to learn is you can't take your Western United States. This is the economy here mindset and apply that to other places. Different places work differently, and you can say there's things to learn, and there's things that are better, and there's things that you maybe prefer not be the case. But like, I can't. It's like buying grapes from the Loire Valley, you know, it's, right. that's what they do. That's their, their prize. So there's that piece in the same product though. We also have a bioidentical antioxidant complex, which features a molecularly identical CoQ10 and the CoQ10 that's in this formula is made using a broken cell yeast technology that was developed my understanding at MIT and commercialized by a Japanese company in Japan and Texas. If now you could make CoQ10 from salmon or even mm -hmm. tobacco, right. but it's not going to be pure. It's not going to be shelf stable. It's not going to be molecularly identical to what's in your body. Whereas with this process, it's yeast in an oxygen free environment. It's a, as close as you can get to hundred percent pure, you know, metabolite. Um, it is shelf stable. And cosmetically, it diminishes, it, it, it's part of the moisturization factor in the formula that diminishes the appearance of scent overexposure, old and new. So it's very, very potent. And so to me, this is a great success of how technology is yielding this active that 
you know, otherwise might not be stable, otherwise might be too materially intense to actually create and put in a formula. Who wants salmon in their skincare? I don't. <laughs> yes, I, uh, salmon flavor. I'm sure some guys would like it. Um, you know, Harley did come out with their own cologne one time, but it turned out that men didn't want to smell like leather saddlebags. Anyway, um, so your discovery process is fascinating. You know, I have this program called Dancing with Startups where we help large brands find all these things all over the world that they're hard to find. So uh, um, the Bulgaria example is amazing. Uh, it's just time, one of so many, though. Next time we talk, I want to find out how they actually get the rose oil. They just grind oh, it all just, up. They, they, no, no, they harvest it by hand. Yeah. Yeah. And it's bagged. They harvest early morning before the sun rises because the, the essential oil in the flower will actually evaporate into the air. That's why when you like walk through a rose oh, garden, you don't want that happening. Mm -hmm. You have to do it very early in the morning. They, and if you go to our website, we have pictures of this. They dump it into a giant still. So there's going to be a giant container here. And then there's going to be a, a pipe that goes from one container to the other, the water boils. You're basically boiling the mash. And then the essential oil is is extracted via steam. And then it's collected in another container. And it's the the water that you get is the is rose water, but the rose essential oil is actually scooped off the top. Oh, amazing. Um, Chase, really want to thank you for having you on. This has been a great behind-the-scenes uh, view. Um, I'd love to hear maybe some, uh, a lot of indie brands out there, cross industries. Any uh, specific tips you might have on scaling? You Obviously, you're, you're great at product. Um, maybe some things you might have learned during COVID, who knows. But what, uh, what would be a couple things that uh, you want to leave everybody with? So I want to talk about two things. I love this question. So COVID, I mean... I, when this hit, man, it felt like we were surfing a tsunami. So, but here's the thing. I'm not going to say anything good came of this because this has been so much, there's just been so much loss. But as a brand, as a brand, we have to stay focused on where the opportunity is. So in our case, as embarrassing as it may be to admit, you know, we launched into retail in 2014. Prior to that, we were only in doctor's offices and the practitioners in their offices and a couple of spas. We hadn't really focused on our dot-com at all. So the whole COVID situation gave us the time and frankly, the bandwidth to focus on our dot-com. And thank you, God, we still, we haven't had to lay anybody off. The team is still together. So we are hanging in there. Um, but I, I'm a really big believer in whatever it is you do, do it really well. I know there's like a zillion trends out there, like be on TikTok, be on Pinterest, be on this, be on that. And I just, I don't function that way. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it really, really, really well. And then I'm going to move on to the next thing. <laughs> that is how I, otherwise I'm like squirrel and it, it just doesn't work. The other thing that I want to talk about for, um, indie brands that are focused on scaling is I think that there isn't enough emphasis on the QAQC process prior to making product, prior to completing product, putting product on market and maintaining a log of it when product is on market. I think it's one, it's been, oh my gosh, I, I hate to even think of how many times we would have hit snags if we didn't have this process in place. 
Every ingredient, every component is tested before it's manufactured. Every batch is tested. We have retains of everything that's on market. Every, you know, every formula is tested, but then every batch of the formula is tested and and really do a a good job of maintaining it. Cause it's one thing to make a product. It's another thing to know what the heck to do when something goes sideways. And it's a whole other thing to know how to preempt those issues so that you don't run into a lot of the challenges that can be seen on the market. Um, especially if you're making naturals, especially if you're making naturals. Perfect. Great advice. Oh, thanks for being on, Chase. I've been listening to Chase Poland, the founder of Kipris. Check them out, and uh, it's good to see you. Take care. Thank you, Dean. You too.